Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. goes like this. In the beginning, there were days set aside for various tasks. On the day he was to create justice, God got involved in making a dragonfly and lost track of time. It was about two inches long, with turquoise dots all down its back like Lauren Bacall. God watched it bend its tiny wire elbows as it set about cleaning the transparent case of its head The eye globes mounted on the case rotated this way and that as it polished every angle. Inside the case, which was glassy black like the windows of a downtown bank, God could see the machinery humming, and he watched the hum travel all the way down turquoise dots to the end of the tail and breathe off as light. Its black wings vibrated in and out. That's actually a poem by Ann Carson called, titled God's Justice. Usually I provide a trigger warning when a poem's about to make an appearance in a sermon, but I thought I'd just drop this one in unannounced to see what happens. Christian Wyman says that this is not so much a creation account as the book of Job in 18 lines. But it's an unsettling idea, isn't it? That the world might be an unjust place because God got distracted and never quite got around to creating justice. Even if the thing that distracted God was something as undeniably cool as a dragonfly. Or over in Job, a great sea monster or a cluster of distant stars. But distractive is relative if you think about it. If you're distracted from one thing, it's probably because you've given your attention to something else, right? If the poem held your interest, it's probably because you kind of got distracted by that dragonfly too, by the turquoise dots all down its back like Lauren Bacall. I mean, she had me at Lauren Bacall, right? And at the bending of those tiny wire elbows and the hum of the bug's internal machinery that travels to the end of its tail and breathes off as light. Two inches of this marvelous world really can hold a whole lot of human attention If that's what we decide we're going to give it to, it's enough to make you wonder that if this is a distraction from God's justice or or just the kind of loving attention upon which even justice may depend in the end. Have you not known, asked the prophet, have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. For my money, this is biblical language at its most fabulous and fine, right up there with Job's. Even though my honest answer to every one of these questions is no. No, I haven't really known or heard much of anything of which you speak. I don't understand much about the foundations of the earth since I'm just one of the countless grasshoppers making my way through life here, way down below that stretched out curtain of sky. You'd be forgiven for bristling at being compared to a grasshopper by this divine Mr. Miyagi. It feels like a slight, 
But have you looked closely at a grasshopper recently? Really? Have you watched its mouth unhinged so those tiny finger-like appendages sensibly mounted right on its jaws can stuff a seed in there? You can watch it on YouTube. Have you considered what it would be like to have legs that could propel, propel you, lumbering, earthbound human that you are, up and over Calvary's bell tower and across Adams Avenue if the need arose? Did you forget, as I do every single day of my life, what a marvelous and miraculous creation a grasshopper actually is, right down to its smallest and most overlookable features. If this sermon is beginning to sound like a series of digressions, I think that's because what it is, that's what it is. Or it's what it hopes to be. The Bible, you see, is not free of concepts and explanations and commentary, but after quite a few years of standing in these pulpits trying to make some kind of sense of it to curious, open-hearted folks like you, I'm only more convinced that its authors and compilers were far more interested in all the creatures and the characters with, with the stories and the songs of it than they were with tidy moral lessons or key takeaways. It's the best-selling book of all time, but almost everybody who's ever tried to read it from start to finish abandoned the project somewhere in Leviticus, wishing that on the eighth day God had created some decent editors. <laughs> so maybe it shouldn't surprise us that Isaiah 40 doesn't mention any lofty concepts like justice or mercy or even love. It's a poem about the way the creator of all that is pays life-giving attention, not to princes and rulers and powerful people who are accustomed to living in the spotlight, but to the weak and the weary ones. God's healing fascination turns toward the young, the exhausted, the ones who understandably feel most overlooked and ignored. And I get the sense from Isaiah that God pays this unlikely attention to those of us grasshoppers who seem most weary and most weak, not because God is committed to some abstract principle like fairness, but because God can't look away because God thinks you are an absolutely astonishingly beautiful little creature, even as you go about your astonishing little grasshopper life. And Isaiah says that in the end, God's curious and intense affection for you is what will save you, restore you, redeem you. Wendell Berry once wrote, I take literally the statement in the Gospel of John that God loves the world. I believe that the world was created and approved by love, that it subsists, coheres, and endures by love, and that insofar as it is redeemable, it, will, it can be redeemed only by love. I think Isaiah has shown this truth rather than told it to us, don't you think? It needs to be said that creative, enduring, redeeming love for the world doesn't always look the same in every situation. Sometimes love looks like fierceness and fury as the prophets rage about God's love for those who are persecuted and poor, or as anybody knows who's ever come between a mama bear and her cub. Sometimes love looks like heartbreak and sorrow. As Cole Arthur Riley put it, watch for her at LPS, by the way, as she put it so, so well, true lament is not born from that trite sentiment that the world is bad, 
but rather from a deep conviction that it is worthy of goodness. Maybe love is the source of all true and enduring forms of justice because love cares so deeply for what is good in its beloved that it just can't look away when that goodness is denied or destroyed. It may seem to go without saying that salvation and redemption arise from God's love for this world. But I know that I, at least, can forget that whatever part I play in making this world more healed and whole has to arise from my love for it as well. I've been called a fixer by people who would know. That means if something's not quite right, I'm ready to jump in, make the necessary corrections as I see them. But read a little history, or just scroll through the morning news, and we're reminded that almost all of the worst we humans have ever visited on one another has been committed by people convinced they were setting things right. If I'm truthful, I know at times my own need to repair has less to do with love for what's been injured or broken and more to do with this need to be in control or to be right or maybe just to win. I still seem to have a lot of training in the way of love to undergo. Maybe you do too. Maybe that's why we're here. When it's my turn to pray with the Eucharistic ministers in the hallway before the service, I usually turn to an old collect in the back of the Book of Common Prayer that says, Deliver us when we draw near to you from coldness of heart and wanderings of mind that with steadfast thoughts and kindled affections we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Kindled affections. Some of the old phrases still breathe off a little light, don't they? I probably shouldn't limit the possible reasons a modern person might actually come to church since so many modern persons can't think of a single one. But I'm not sure there's any reason for Jesus' church to exist at all except to kindle our affections for this world and for the strange, starry-eyed creator who made all of it and all of us out of nothing but love. I only need to know myself to know that there really can be at least one too many confident fixers in the world rallying our troops to make it in what we think is right. But I'm not sure it's possible for there to be too many people whose love for the world has been kindled and who work to make it more just only and always by the, by the light of that love's fire. So maybe a practice for all of us to consider as this season of Lent approaches is to pay attention to what we pay attention to? Is it to things that serve our own sense of importance and control that alienate us further from creation and from one another? Or will we pay our attention to what kindles our affection for God's world a little more, especially for the faint and powerless ones, the weary and the exhausted, whom God, the prophets all tell us, loves most intensely of all? For this world really was created and approved by love. It subsists, coheres, and endures by love. And insofar as it is redeemable, it can be redeemed only by love. The question for us, I suppose, is whether we'll pay our, play our small part in that redemption by learning to love a little more of this world, a little more deeply, Every day we're given to be alive upon it. 
you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.